0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective,
1: this is the Theology
0: Central Podcast. Making Theology
1: Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, May the 31st, 2022. It is currently 8.35 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, or as I sometimes say, I I am coming to you live two stories above a street, right here in Abilene, Texas. And in this second story room, I'm sitting at a table. I have a microphone right in front of me. To my left is a laptop with all of the software for me to go live on all of the different platforms that we go live on. But to my right, I have one, two, three, four Bibles. Four Bibles, actual, physical Bibles, All right here, four different Bibles. Four Bibles, I have a notebook, and I have multiple pencils. Now, I love walking up the stairway to this room, sitting at this table, grabbing the Bible, grabbing a notebook, and just spending time reading God's Word, studying God's Word. I may do the devotional method of Bible study or the chapter summary method of Bible study. I, I can pull any of the 12 different methods of Bible studies that I've known and I've taught you guys. This week, we're working on the topical method of Bible study um, on a very important subject. So I could sit here and do that. Sometimes I like to grab the Sermons 2.0 app or, or, or our podcasting app and start listening to some sermons or or any kind of teaching and just grab my Bible and a notebook and listen and pause and, and do my own study. But just to just to show you and to tell you, Obviously as someone who's a host of a podcast called Theology Central, someone who preaches and teaches, um clearly the word of God has had a major has been a major part of my life ever since I became a believer as a teenager in a small Baptist church in West Texas, right? Back when I was a teenager, Hearing the gospel, realizing I'm a sinner, becoming a Christian, and the very night that I became saved, I've told the story many times, is the pastor, after I became saved, the pastor handed me a Bible and said, this is the word of God. And I've told you how that has such a profound impact on me, because I'm like, okay, so here, there is a God. He, he, I, now, at that point, my understanding of God may have been very limited, but there's God. He, he's creator. He's obviously more powerful than me, knows more than me. I don't know. I definitely didn't understand. I don't know if I understand, understood completely the eternality of God. Don't know if I really understood the Trinity at all, but I, I knew there was a God, and if there is a God and he has given me his word, well, then this has to be one of the most important things that I could ever own or possess because if there's a God and He's given me His Word, then I obviously want to know what God has to say. And if I if this book is to tell me what is right, it's to tell me what is wrong, it's to give me hope, it's to give me warning, it's to condemn certain behavior, it's it's to just it's to guide, it's to lead, it's to direct, it's to open my eyes, it's to give me wisdom, then I want to read it and read it and read it and study it and study it and study it and study it. And, study it. and right from the very beginning of my Christian life. I mean, the word of God was, it was right there. I, I, you know, the, the very night that I got saved, I went home, stayed up, I think all night, read the entire new Testament within less than 24 hours of being saved. I, you know, basically by the next morning, when I got ready to go to school, I, I'd already read the entire new Testament and I carried the Bible with me to school. Which was a shock to everyone when I came walking in carrying a Bible, but I that that was it, and and I, probably within the next couple of days I already had the Old Testament read, and then I just kept reading it and studying it and trying to understand it, and and it was the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. I wanted hearing preaching from it, I wanted to hear teaching from it. It was the Word of God, so I can honestly say that the Word of God not only has it been a major part of my life. That I love to read it, I love to study it, I love to talk about it, I love to teach it, I love to preach from it, I, lo- I mean, I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. So we have God, and he gives his word, and we know that he did, did so through inspiration. He inspired. God breathed his word out. Men wrote it, but it's the inspired, God-breathed word. It is We believe it to be inspired. We believe it to be infallible. right? We believe it's to be authoritative. We, as non-Catholics, we say scripture and scripture alone. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We are to read it. It is our spiritual food. It, it, It's—I mean—everything we need is right here in the Word of God. So it's been a major part of my life. I've studied it. I love it. Now, if it—if we just leave the Bible, or we, if we just understand the Bible from the concept that there's God, He breathes out His Word, men write it, it is kept preserved we have it we have trustworthy we have trustworthy translations of the word of god and we can read it and we can study it and we can we can be confident that what we have is the infallible inspired word of god now if we just leave the subject right there right we just leave the subject right there it looks wonderful it looks great it looks amazing, it looks awesome, and we're so grateful that that God in his mercy and grace would give us his word so that we can gain understanding. Because without the Bible, we wouldn't have this understanding. Without the Bible, we would not have this revelation. We would, we would not know the things that we can know reading and studying God's word. We would be even more confused and more in the dark than we are. But God in his mercy gave us his word. And if we leave it right there, it's just, it's an amazing thing. It's awesome. But because we have his word and written form collected right here in what we call a Bible, 66 books, here's where things go horribly wrong. You and I, we pick it up. We touch it. We read it. We teach it. We preach it. And we use it. And I'm not sure if you realize this, you and I, we are sinners. We have a sinful nature. So time and time again, when we pick up the Bible and start reading it and using it, there is a grave danger. And that danger is that you and I can take the word of God and begin to use it as a weapon to hurt other people. We can begin to use the word of God as a tool to manipulate people, to silence people, to shame people, to to do things with it that it was never intended to do. We we can take the word of God to excuse our behavior and condemn others. We can use it to, to literally manipulate and hurt people. We have to consider the danger that the Bible presents you and I, because we have now something that we know is God's word, but we can take it and twist it and use it for our own purpose, our own agenda. And we can claim that our purpose and agenda is from God, and we will quote a scripture to back that up. Look, one of the things people love to do is when they're in a debate or when they're in an argument, quote a scripture, the Bible says, because somehow that makes you authoritative. Now, so that's not so much popular. That's not as popular today in the culture as it was in in the past. Even if someone wasn't a believer, if they got ready to get into an argument, they may try to throw out, well, the Bible says, the Bible says now that's not, that's not so much a thing in the culture, but within Christianity, it still is. Someone has a strong opinion. Someone has a strong argument, and they will quote a scripture, always believing that the scripture supports their view, always believing that the scripture makes them right and makes other people wrong. We always believe that when we quote the scripture, we we, we use the scripture in, in order to make us right and to make everyone else wrong, to condemn others and justify ourselves, to excuse us, but condemn them. There is a danger for sinful people having God's word is because sinful people use God's word to do evil things. God's word has been used to justify everything from war to slavery. It has been used to justify all kinds of crazy and wrong acts. Now the issue is not God's word. See, those in the world, when they see that happen, they blame the word of God. They blame the Bible. The blame is in is is inside of us. It's our depraved nature. And so, if we think, "Oh man, here's my depraved nature," my depraved nature is like there's there's the Bible that gives you that gives you an authority to somehow protect your depravity. Right? It, it, we 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 won't even recognize that we are doing it, but it happens, and we have. An example of that occurring in a recent report that was released that is absolutely horrific to read. Here's what happened. I was downstairs in my study. I reached over, grabbed my iPad, opened up Pocket Cast, one of the podcast apps that I uh, use. And I, w- I pulled down to see, you know, what new podcasts were available And I saw that there was a new episode of the podcast, The Bulwark, The Bulwark, B-U-L-W-A-R-K, The Bulwark, B-U-L-W-A-R-K, The Bulwark, right, uh, with Charlie Sykes, The Bulwark. B-U-L-W-A-R-K. I know in my Texas accent it comes up, the bulwark, but the bulwark, okay? <laughs> Trying to say it the correct way. And I saw that there was a new episode. Now, this is not a, a podcast that I typically listen to that much. I've listened to some. It just has not, it doesn't always meet, it doesn't always fall at the top of my list of things that I'm going to listen to. But it was a new episode. I just happened to be ready to start listening to something. And I hit play and I made it to about the 26th 26 minute, 37 second mark, 26 minute, 37 second mark, and they start talking about the Southern Baptist Convention and the report released outlining the horrific sexual abuse and cover up that occurred within the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, the report, it, I, if you haven't read the report, it is disturbing. There's all kinds of articles out there about it. We've talked about it a few times here on this podcast. But they mentioned something in the report that immediately triggered that feeling that, man, I love the word of God. I love it. You know, like it it, it triggered that whole line of thinking that I started this program with that on one side I was sitting there. I love the word of God. I love the Bible. I love to read it. I love to study it. But then it immediately made me realize, I wonder how many times in my life that I've used the Bible in an incorrect way in an ungodly way, to manipulate, to hurt, to silence, to humiliate, to demean, to exalt me. I wonder if I've ever done it. Because again, I I, I try to tell you all the time, whenever I hear a report about something going wrong in Christianity, I don't care if it was the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast about Driscoll. I don't care if it's about the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't care what it's about. I always try to stop and go, okay, Yes, what happened is horrible, what happened is horrific. We have to talk about it, but I want to use it first and foremost to look to me, to point to me, to my own failures, to my own shortcomings, because they are many, right? My failures and my shortcomings, they are legion, okay? I I am a sinner. I say it all the time. I'm a sinner sitting in front of a microphone. None of us have unclean, uh, none of us have clean hands. All of us have unclean hands. And when they start, when they're going to mention something about what the Southern Baptist Convention leaders did using the word of God, but using it as a weapon and immediately made me think, how, how have I done it? I may have never done it in that way, but how have I done it to try to protect me, to silence others, to hurt people? And when I say that, I'm saying we used it in an incorrect way. See, sometimes we can be convinced that we're using it in a correct way, but the problem is we can convince ourselves that we are. But are we really? Let's listen to a little bit of The Bulwark um, with Charlie Sykes. This is an episode entitled Christianity's Generational Catastrophe. Christianity's Generational Catastrophe, You may want to go subscribe to the podcast and listen to some episodes. You will agree with some. You may disagree with others. But I think it will give you a a different perspective than maybe you typically hear, and then you can consider what you think about it. But here we go. All right? Here we go. Just listen. They're, They're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention releasing this just devastating report about everything that's happened in the convention with sexual abuse. Here we go.
0: So it's really painful. It is painful, and it's also and the word is overused, but ironic because as you describe, you know what's happened in, with the Southern Baptists, it goes right to the top of the organization, and and it was done very very consciously and rationalized. You know they lied, they engaged in cover-ups, they decided with with those who were credibly accused of abuse, they vilified victims of abuse, and this wasn't a secret. This wasn't you know all done in you know it was like not like anybody had never heard of it because the survivors made phone calls, they sent emails, they held rallies, they contacted the media, only to be met with the stonewalling resistance and hostility by members of the executive committee. And, you know, you you quote the the general counsel um, of the SBC calling the victims' efforts, he called them a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism.
1: did you hear that the victims and their efforts was described as basically a satanic plot to distract us from the gospel to distract us from evangelism see what these what these victims are claiming. What they're trying to do, they're distracting us from evangelism. They're distracting us from from the proclamation of God's word. It's a satanic plot. See, that's using scripture. That's using the idea of Satan. That's using the idea that evangelism is so important. It's using scriptural concepts, but using them to silence and vilify victims of sexual abuse. And that happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. There is, that is, that is horrifying, that is evil, that is ungodly, that is twisted, that is messed up. And then I'm like, I wonder in what ways I have used scripture to vilify, to condemn, to hurt. Now, yes, I am by no means saying that we should not call out sin because we have to call out sin. I'm not saying that. But here they literally use, it, it reminds me of the Pharisees who tried to use God's law in a way to entrap and, and to, to try to set someone up to be killed, all the time claiming their loyalty and allegiance to the law of Moses and how faithful they were going to be while they were in, ultimately plotting to have an innocent person killed, ultimately the eternal son of God killed. Hey, we, we're loyal, so we loyal. We have allegiance to the law of Moses, and we're going to use the law of Moses to have the Son of God, killed. And what ways can we, can we say that we, we're loyal to Scripture, we love Scripture, and somehow we turn it into a weapon that we then use to hurt and to maim and to kill and to destroy? All doing it in the name of God. I'm going to back this up a little bit. I want you to hear that again. It's just hard to wrap your mind around it really is it's hard
2: here we go well, to undermine that so it's really painful
0: it is painful and it's also and the word is overused but ironic because as you describe you know what's happened in, with the southern baptists it goes right to the top of the organization and and it was done very very consciously and rationalized you know they lied they engaged in cover ups they decided with with those who were credibly accused of abuse they vilified victims of abuse and this wasn't a secret this wasn't you know all done in you know it was like not like anybody had never heard of it because the survivors made phone calls they sent emails they held rallies they contacted the media only to be met with a stonewalling, resistance, and hostility by members of the executive committee, and you know, in, in, you, you quote the the general counsel um, of the SBC calling the victims' efforts. He called them a satanic scheme to completely yeah. distract us from evangelism. Yeah. So they made this part of the faith, which was to reject the testimony and the witness of these victims. That's exactly
2: right. It's just enraging. That is, they use the scriptures as a weapon against abuse victims. And if you talk to clinical psychologists, the most important factor, if an abuse victim is able to survive and to make meaning out of their life, the most important factor is, are they believed when they come forward? And these awful people, the SPC, not only didn't believe them, but they slandered them and they went after them and they made their lives miserable. And it's so upsetting. You know, there's a Karen Swallow pro oh, Do we...
1: Are, are there even words to describe... I don't know. I, are, do you have the words to describe your feelings when you hear that? Again, it reminds me... Of the, of the horrible situation that occurred at Grace Community Church with John MacArthur's church. A woman, you know, comes forward because of abuse in her marriage. She doesn't do exactly what the church wants her to do. She doesn't want to get back with her abusive husband. They think she has to. So ultimately, they excommunicate the woman, not the abusive husband. And then it comes out that the abusive husband was more than just physically abusing the wife or the kids. He was sexually abusing the children. He goes to prison, but her excommunication stands, never revoked, never re- never left lifted. And the man is never church disciplined, and he's even supported in a sense by the church when he's in prison. But using scripture as well, the woman didn't do this, and the woman didn't do that, and the woman didn't do this. So we we've got we've got God's word on our side. We've got God's word on so- our side that we that we you know basically attacked a woman who was abused. We 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 basically attacked a woman who who was telling everyone that their abuse was going on, and well, she ultimately got church disciplined, and the husband who sexually abused the kids. Well, you know, well, we're not going to talk about that, and and we're just not going to comment on it when the story is all over the place. We're just we're just we're just going to leave it alone instead of coming forward, going, I think maybe we made a mistake. I think maybe we weaponized scripture there, and we attacked someone while we attacked a victim while somehow excusing and supporting well the the. Abuser, it, it, it's just, the story was maddening. And then now we read the Southern Baptist Convention. Hey, we're we're going to go after we're going to go after the victims. We're going to attack the victims, and we're going to say that it's a satanic plot. The victims are a part part of the satanic plot, and of course, we we're on the side of God. We're on the side of God. They are on the side of Satan. Christians do this, especially when Christians mix it with politics. Then we use the scripture to support our political view, and then we use the scripture to vilify and accuse all of our political rivals as basically being a part of a satanic plot and being a part of Satan, and then we condemn them, and then we feel like that we, we're we on the side of righteousness and they're on the side of unrighteousness. It, it can be very dangerous when we— in a sense, pick up the scripture, and we talk about the scripture being a sword, right? It's The sword of the spirit to fight spiritual wars. But when we pick up the Bible, and if it is a sword, but we stop using the sword for a spiritual battle, and we turn that sword on people to attack them and destroy them and to protect ourselves, It is something that we must stop and look at our own lives and go. How have we done that? Like identify at ways in which you think you have done that. You probably have. I know I've probably done it. You've probably done it. And we have to we have to first acknowledge our our own mistakes, confess it, and repent of those mistakes. But we need to come up with a system and how to keep ourselves. From turning scripture into a weapon that we used in an incorrect way. I think what we have a tendency to do is in many cases we isolate scripture, right? We we're very good at that, right? If if I want to condemn other people, right? I want to condemn other people and I think this or a person or a group, I want to condemn them and I want to go after them and I want to say some harsh words, then I'll say, Well, look at John the Baptist. He said some harsh words. He says, look at how Jesus spoke of the Pharisees. He was mean. He was condemning. I mean, Jesus walked into the temple and overthrew overthrew tables and overthrew their, you know, their their, their property. See? So we can be blunt and we can be mean and we can be direct. And I've see, I've got scripture to back me up. But then other situations other situations we'll, we and other situations we'll go to scriptures like well wait a minute judge not lest ye be judged wait a minute forgive turn your other cheek love your enemy see, so so it depends when we want to do the condemning we'll find the scriptures that seem to support it when we need the protection or we need you know forgiveness then we go to the scripture saying don't be so mean to me don't be so rude to me you're supposed to love me even if i'm your enemy see we we will use whatever we want to use for whatever uh, advantage that will give us. Someone just said they've done it without a doubt. We've all done it. I think what we have to do is we always, whatever the situation is, right? We have to say, okay, um, we have to take the totality of, I think it's the whole, I think the constant thing we need is we must always see the totality of scripture in any given situation. Like we can always find that one scripture that will give us some level of justification for what we do, but, but then, but we ignore the other scriptures. We see this whenever there's a debate about what we see, we saw this in Romans 13, about Romans 13. As soon as people decided, you know what, don't like this government, don't like these, you know these, uh, you know, COVID mandates that are being handed down, then all of a sudden Romans 13 didn't apply. Then we'll go to any scripture where it appears that someone is standing against the government and say, that's what we're supposed to do. But in another situation, someone will be quick to run to Romans 13 and then cite it and say, well, wait, wait, it, it, it applies now. Whenever you get into a debate, when when a mass shooting happens and Christians go crazy and want to start, you know, using scripture to support their view on firearms and guns, Well, well, we'll go to the one scripture where Jesus told some people to buy a sword and they ended up with two and he said, that is sufficient. Well, there you go. That proves it. Or they'll try to go to some scripture from the Old Testament where Israel's under a theocracy where they're basically a nation that has to have laws to protect themselves and maybe you know have to fight their enemies and they'll say see see that's that's the same thing as private uh, you know gun ownership you're know, like well or maybe that's kind of the role the government plays now and kind of why Jesus took away the eye from an eye tooth for a tooth away from the individual and said it was the government who now bears the sword but 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 again you just isolate you isolate i think i think the way i think the only way to protect ourselves is stop isolating I think a good, I think, and I mean this not just because I just taught it, but I think in any situation, whenever there's a, a, a whatever the situation is, I think sometimes that's why a topical study is so important because you got to find the, the the topic and then you got to find all the associated words and phrases that go along with it. You look up every single reference, then you go through every reference to determine if they actually will help or not help with the particular topic. Then you go through all of those references again and categorize them and then you can look at all of the totality of what the Bible says about that particular subject, that particular topic, that particular phrase, whatever. And then you can at least, then summarize the entirety of biblical teaching on it. And that protects you from taking just an an aspect from one verse and using it to justify your actions, justifying what you said to that person, justifying how harsh you were or whatever the case may be. But it's hard to do that because emotions get involved. We get involved. That's the thing. The word of God, here's the thing. The, the, I am in no way calling into question the purity, the holiness, or the rightness of God's word. What I'm acknowledging is that when you pick it up and I pick it up, we pick it up with impure hands, unholy hearts, ungodly. So we take that which is pure and holy and right, we are impure, unholy, and definitely not right. We pick it up and then we begin to use the pure, holy, right God, uh, the, the pure, holy, and right word of God, and we begin to use it in an impure, unholy, and incorrect manner. And we have done it and churches have done it throughout history. People use the Bible to justify slavery. I, I, you cannot forget that. People use the Bible to try to promote segregation. People have used the Bible to basically support child abuse. People have used the Bible to to promote domestic violence. Men using it, using scripture to to justify the, the, basically the, you know, physical harm of women. Now you can say, well, those are, those are extreme examples. Yeah, they're extreme examples. But the extreme example should be a warning to us that we may we, we may do the same thing in a less extreme way, but we're guilty of the same. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention looked at women who were victims of sexual abuse and go, you are part of a satanic plot to distract me from evangelism. You see, I'm godly because I want to evangelize. I want to evangelize. I, I, I've told the story before, but... Uh, here's an example of how Christians can do this. So I don't remember what year it was. It was many years ago. A lot of people were upset with Chick-fil-A. The LGBTQ community was upset with Chick-fil-A. They were all mad because Chick-fil-A had given money to pro-family and, and, and groups that I guess were opposed to LGBTQ laws. Okay, so they're all upset about it. All right. So Christians get all mad that the LGBTQ people are upset with Chick-fil-A. So Christians thought, hey, we're going to fight the culture war. So here's what we'll do. Everyone on a particular day, go to Chick-fil-A and buy, you know, two sandwiches because we'll show our support for Chick-fil-A. And I was like, really? Christians are going to get involved in a culture war, and we're going to fight the culture war by buying a bunch of chicken sandwiches to make a company millions and millions and millions of dollars. I, I just, I didn't understand it. I thought it was foolish. So my daughter. Pops on social media, and she posts basically in her mind. Now, I, I, think, I think it was her own thoughts. She could have been copy, copying her dad at the time. Could have been. But the bottom line is she's a teenager, and she posts basically, this is ridiculous. You're not going to change anything by buying chicken sandwiches. It just seems foolish. It just seems all we're trying to do is in just adding fuel to the culture war, and we're not really accomplishing anything. It just seems foolish right? So you think that, you know, okay, it's a teenager. You just let it alone, right? No, 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 no. Not if you're a Christian man, okay? A Christian man who attended my church at the time, who had never interacted with me or my daughter on social media, had never basically said a word up to us on social media. He runs, okay? He, he, I guess his wife shows him it, or he hears about it. I don't know. Now, of course, he knows my phone number, all right? he knows my phone number. He knows where I live. So he could have called, but no, 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 he doesn't do that. He hops on his wife's social media account and says, Hey, this is so-and-so I'm using my wife's account. And then basically goes after my daughter. And of course he's got to use scripture. Instead of you worrying about what Christians are doing and, and, and buying chicken sandwiches, you should be worried about witnessing to people. What do you? You're, instead of spending your time on social media, you should be out there witnessing to people, right? So he's going to use evangelism. Hey, you're not evangelizing. You're posting on social media. You're ungodly. You should leave these people. You're ungodly. And so my daughter was like, "So you're on social media, telling me that I shouldn't be on social media because I should be out there witnessing." So you've stopped being out there witnessing to get on social media to attack me. Called called him out for basically a, you know, the the complete logical fallacy that was occurring there and the hypocrisy of it all. And I and I was perfectly okay with her doing that. He never responded. Never called me. Never never could address it like uh, you know a man should. It was ridiculous. It was foolish. It was dumb and it was stupid. Okay, ultimately leaves leaves the church. But it's just it's just. So that's how Christians do something. We don't like something, you should be out there witnessing. You should be out there witnessing. You should be out, well, that's what we always go to. When we want to attack someone, we find a scripture that we, that we can use to attack someone. And, and Christians have been doing it forever, especially in the social media era. Oh my goodness, Christians love to just attack, 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 attack. And we've always got a scripture to back up our attacking. We're just out there waving that sword around, chopping off ears, poking out eyes, stabbing people. And we all do it in the name of Jesus. And we say that we're right. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible, obviously, there's a place for rebuke. There is a place for correction. But the Bible in its totality may give you, I don't know, a balanced approach in how to handle yourself. Right? That's what we have to do. The Southern Baptists literally used the idea of Satan, the importance of evangelism, to attack victims of sexual abuse. It's hard to even put that in. It's hard to even say that without just getting upset. Now, I'm just going to go back just quickly, play just the next couple of seconds of this clip to make sure that there's no Further context here. I'm sorry. I'm trying to take a drink of water while I'm trying to speak. All right, but here we go. Let's just listen to at least a couple of, of seconds
2: here. You know, mm-hmm. may know she's at the Southeastern Baptist Theological sure. Seminary. I think it was her that had a line that said, "There's something worse than a wolf in sheep's clothing, and that's a wolf in shepherd's clothing." Ooh. And these people um, portrayed themselves as as shepherds over the church uh, and over these uh, these survivors. And there should be a price in this world, and there should be a price in the world to come when you conduct yourself in that kind of way. And when you appropriate, as a Christian, the name of Christ to hurt the vulnerable and the weak and the people in the shadows of society, that's just inexcusable. Well, will there be?
1: And it's true. All Christians, on one hand— right? We're all, the reason you go to church is to be equipped for ministry. So all of us are ministers in some way, shape, or form, right? You may be a full-time professional, quote-unquote, minister, pastor, whatever, but every Christian is a minister. And whenever you're in your ministry, you've used God's word in a way that hurts people. You've used it in an incorrect way. You've used it as a weapon. You've used it to push others down and elevate yourself. You've used it incorrectly. Well, then you basically acted like, well, a wolf in Christian's clothing. You used Christ. You used his word to hurt others, to destroy others. We're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. We saw a little bit of that when we, if you listen to the whole Podcast series "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill." There were things going on there where there, you know, people are being attacked, people are being demeaned, people are being silenced. And, and but Scripture, we're, we're doing it. We're doing it God's way. We're doing it the right way. That the woman at Grace Community Church was excommunicated. Hey, we're doing. We're we're upholding Scripture. Really, wait. wait so the victim of abuse is excommunicated, and the abuser is not. The man goes to prison and you still don't lift the excommunication of the one. I mean, and and look, that story, most of Christianity doesn't even care. They're like, yeah, whatever, whatever. We don't even care. In many cases, we don't even care. As long as, as long as, this is the way it works. If it's, if it's people from our theological background, we don't even care if they misuse scripture and use it as a weapon. As long as they're using it as a weapon on our enemies. Many Christians don't care. Oh, Oh, yo yeah they use yeah they may have used scripture in an incorrect way but they went after our, our our enemies so if they go after liberals if they go after whatever the case may be then it's okay it, it's just no God's word is not to be used as a weapon to hurt people it's to be used as a sword in fighting a spiritual war but it's to be used correctly God's word is amazing I love it I love studying it I love reading it I love talking about it What I don't love is that my filthy, ungodly hands touch it and my sinful heart leads me sometimes to may use it in a way that is incorrect and not in keeping with what scripture actually says and what scripture is actually telling me to do. I just had to share this with you Uh, Again, like I was just sitting downstairs and I was listening and I heard that and I'm like, man, I got to I got to tell someone about it tonight. I got to talk to someone about it. So I thought I would come up here and talk to you guys about it. And uh, I've done podcast episodes about it before, but I I just I just wanted to mention it again. And uh, you you can do whatever you want with it. It's just something we've got to just remember whenever whatever the issue is. Just make sure that what you're getting ready to say about Scripture, how you're getting ready to use Scripture, just stop and ask yourself, is this consistent with the totality of Scripture? Is this consistent with the totality of God's Word? Some people will say, judge not, lest she be judged, and then forget that in that very same chapter, it's beware of false prophets. Well, to beware of false prophets, I have to make a judgment. So there is a time to judge, but then there's a wrong time to judge and a wrong way to judge. So you got to find that to- totality and that balance. Yes, Jesus turned over the-, the tables in the temple and drove people out with a whip. There's other times he showed great love and compassion. So the problem is we can we can use each we can use the compassion in a way when we shouldn't, and we can use the turning over tables when we shouldn't. We we can we can just go to whatever works for us at any given time, and that's the danger. All right, I'm just gonna stop there. I had to at least share this tonight. So there you go. You can email me your thoughts, news if at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Just before we end, I want to announce that the month of May was the most successful month ever for the Sermons 2.0 app and the Church One app. We've had more, we, I think we're close to 8,000. I think our record before that was 5,000. So we, I mean, now, yes, there's 31 days in this month. So it gave us a little bit more time to break previous records, but from 5,000 to 8,000, I think last month was 5,000. So we went to 8,000. I don't know what we'll do moving forward in the summer, but that is a massive increase. And so we are grateful for that. Um, But we had a massive increase without really any major decrease on our other platforms, so in other words, our other platforms perform basically the same. In fact, maybe even about, I think I think we had about a 1% increase on our other platforms. So that is that means that 8,000 is on top of everything else. So that is an amazing, awesome accomplishment. So thank you for however you listen. I mean, it doesn't really matter because, I mean, we just want people to... to be able to get our program. That's when we put it on every platform that we can possibly find. I'm always looking, I'm always looking. So so we're always looking for every platform, always trying to find new ways, trying to expand. Sometimes my ideas work, sometimes they don't. We, we really wanted to try to work on developing a presence on sermon.net. That, that uh, We wanted to be able to do a live broadcast on sermon.net and uh, the Church One app, Sermons 2.0 and Spreaker but it, the sermons.net app, whenever you do a live broadcast, it completely changes the uh, microphone volume. It just automatically increases it to 100, which then destroys the sound on all of the other platforms. So we, we, we had to do away with that program. We could probably get a subscription on sermons.net and upload our content to their app, but they, it, they don't really have much of a built-in audience. So in other words we really wouldn't be benefiting much from doing that it would be another app that people could use but the numbers on sermons.net it's really weird it's almost like it just becomes a platform that you're going to send your content to other to other platforms so it, it didn't have the it didn't have the benefit that we wanted we tried we tried to do some things on podbean it's it just sometimes I, there's just too many there's too many things and I can't do them all. So you always have to try to look at which one works the best. And Church One and Sermons 2.0 has been a very successful endeavor. And uh, so it's it's turned out to be worth the money. It's $50 a month, but it's turned out to be worth the money. So um, uh, yeah, you and, and you also want to have as many platforms as possible. Sermons 2.0 and the Church One app, we are far safer there from our content being removed or, you know, censored in any way, shape, or form. Uh, some of our other platforms, you never know. You never know when you're one second away from uh, losing uh, your 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 platform. Spreaker, we've never had a problem with Spreaker. We've had some issues on on YouTube, but the last time they had a problem, they actually came back and sided with us. So that was an amazing. That's never happened before. Um, so we we so it's it's just it's an awesome thing that that's happened. We'll see. We're still. I think we're still in the top, we're still in the top 10% of podcasts. So that means we are, we rank above 2 million, we rank above 2 million other podcasts, which is pretty, a pretty significant accomplishment considering the way we podcast. We, we don't follow the template everyone else follows. We do live broadcast with, with, and with, with, and without all of the mistakes, they're just there and it's very much more real and organic. It's not produced and edited and polished. So that that's my on purpose. So that's kind of my that my vision for how I wanted the podcast to work. That's the way we've kept it. And uh, so maybe we'll never get above that. You know, in the top, maybe we'll never move to the top five percent. I don't know if we'll ever get there. But you know what? You take what you get and just are happy. The the sermon sermon and what. It is somewhat frustrating because the sermons 2.0 and the church one numbers, which, you know, probably I'd have to look at maybe close to 8,000 right now, or maybe over 8,000 right now. Um, I don't know what the number, I haven't looked in a couple of hours. None of those numbers go to our podcast ranking of being in the top 10%. Those numbers don't go to the other podcast ranking systems. They just go with sermons 2.0 and church one. So, uh, if we if you took those eight thousand and moved it to our other the other platforms, then we possibly would have moved up from the top ten percent because that would have added another eight thousand number uh, in in a thirty one day period. So it's just weird how the statistics statistics work for podcasting. Like if I look at the uh, SoundCloud numbers, those numbers don't go into the. Uh, our percentage for our podcast—it's so weird. Like some platforms, those numbers are just for that platform, and they don't go for the overall statistics. So it, it's—it can be discouraging. It can be—it can be frustrating. I guess if you—if you want to see yourself, you know, accomplish some of those uh, milestones. But the main thing is people have a way to listen to it. So I could either—I could either minimize where people could listen and which would possibly increase the numbers, or it could actually decrease the overall numbers. It could increase the numbers on certain areas, which I could see the immediate results in ranking, but then it would destroy the fact that we're reaching other people in other ways. So my my theory is, okay, we may not get the recognition or show up on certain charts, but if more people are listening and, and people have every they can listen any way they want, then I'm just going to go with that. So that, that's, that's the approach. And so we're going to keep pushing to Church One app and, and Sermons 2.0. So if you have never listened to us before, just go to your app store of choice. Just uh, type in Church O-N-E, Church O-N-E. Once you download it, it's a generic app used by many broadcasters. Just type in Theology Central. Choose us as your, as your broadcaster of choice. And it becomes a Theology Central podcast. And then there you have it. You're good to go. And then you can uh, get notified about everything. So anytime anytime visitors walk into the church now and they ask, that's that's where I'm pointing people to now is the Church One app. Uh, We're still going to—we're never going to leave Spreaker, never, because— that would be a nightmare because uh, the all of the other podcast apps that we're on are there because of Spreaker. Spreaker is the, is the hub that sends it out to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, to Podbean, to all of those others. And uh, yeah, so we, we can never get rid of that. But there you go. All right. That's kind of just some behind the scenes news. All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great night and uh, give it some serious consideration and how you've possibly used God's word as a weapon. And do whatever you can to prevent yourself from doing that again. All right, thanks for listening.